today on Standing on the Word. The last words that we will hear out of His mouth before He comes again in glory is in verses 12 and 13. Right here are the last words of Christ. This last page of Scripture, the last words that Jesus ever spoke, these are planned words. Understand, these were not random words. They were not, these were not spontaneous. They were not in the moment. These were well thought out, well planned, exactly what He wanted us to hear, to understand, and I believe to cling to, to hold on to until He comes again. You're listening to Standing in the Gap. Standing for truth in a fallen world. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed through God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins, who is pastor and Bible teacher at West End Baptist Church, as we learn how the last words of Christ are meant to prepare people for His return. And now from his sermon titled, The Last Words of Christ, here's Josh. Well, let's go ahead and, and open up our Bibles. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the last page of the Bible. And it should be the last page. I don't know how your Bible is lined up, but it is the last page of my, my Bible, page 1,161 in mine. And we're going to turn to Revelation 22. And these are, in this passage today, we're just going to look at two verses, verses 12 and 13. These words are not only the last page of the Bible, but these are the last words of Christ. Uh, you'll notice there that these words, verse 12 and 13, is, are, are the words in red. Uh, and you guys know that, that the words in red are signifying that these are the words that Jesus literally spoke. All the words are the words of God, every last one. I believe it's all inerrant and infallible. And, and I, I trust all the words, but we understand that the words in red are the words that He said. So these are the last words of Christ here, His last statement. And these words here, and I know there's verse 16 and three, four more words in verse 20, but they all repeat what these two verses say. These words here, I want you to get this, were meant to be etched into our minds forever. This is the last thing Jesus would say, and He wants these things, as if any other last words you ever heard, we remember those things. He wants these to be the last words we remember Him saying. Uh, so let's, if you want to, let's stand together. I'll read these two verses to you, verses 12 and 13, and then we'll pray together and study these words. Again, I titled this, The Last Words of Christ. And I'm going to, last week's sermon, and the, I'm going to do, I think, four total sermons in Revelation 22. I'm doing a little short series called The Last Words. Uh, we're going to do the last words of Scripture, uh, the last words of Revelation, the last words of Christ, and the last words of invitation. Uh, so it's a whole series on the last words, the last page of the Bible. But let's read these two verses, and it's, it's a powerful two verses, a very comforting two verses. So look, look with me in verse 12. And Jesus said, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. Very simple, short statement there, but it's powerful. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll study these two verses. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these last words of Christ, the last words that you want us to hear. And I'm thankful that they're here, that we have them, and, and I believe they're here for our comfort. I believe they're here for the comfort of the church in the first century the comfort of the church throughout church history, and comfort of us here today. These three statements that Christ is making here is valuable and precious. Let's please, by the power of your Spirit, etch these words in our mind, not just today, but for the rest of our life. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Do you ever think about the last words that you'll ever say? I know that most of us probably that never comes to our mind, but that one day we're going to say our last words. We talk a lot today. I talk probably more than anybody else here. I spend most of my time talking to somebody up in front of people talking, but I, I hardly ever think about what my last words will be. That one day I'm going to be, Lord willing, I don't know if it will be a, a prepared statement where I get to actually sit down with my wife and my kids and, and they're all standing around my deathbed and I get to say last words to my sons and to my daughter and my daughters and my wife. What would you say? I thought about that a lot this week. What would you want your last words to be? Um, as they're sitting there looking and, and their ears are just tuned in to what you're going to say, knowing they'll never hear another word out of your mouth ever again. What would you say? And there's all kinds of memorable last words, because uh, it is a very special form of quotation. Sometimes these, these statements, these last words are rehearsed, and sometimes they're not. Uh, I've got two that I want to give you here. This is a an in-the-moment, spontaneous last words. 
of one of the Beatles, John Lennon. And this is not something he planned. His last words were, I've been shot. Uh, so you know that he didn't plan those words. He, he was literally shot and killed, and it was in the spur of the moment that he said that. And then you have planned words. And I'm going to give you another rock and roll star here. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm some, uh, going the wrong direction here. But Jimi Hendrix, who was more planned in his words, and I like these, said, life is quicker than the blink of an eye. And that was his last words. So you see here that some are spontaneous and some are, are very planned and, and uh, ready to, to give in, in the last minute. Jimi Hendrix said, obviously taking some time to think about these things. So uh, last words are very valuable, very precious. We, we cherish them. We actually write those things down. We hold on to them. We remember them. We, we, we even uh, keep old love letters because there's words that, that we want to remember of our loved ones. So these things are meant to be, again, etched into our minds forever. And the reason is because last words are lasting words or should be lasting words. And this is especially true in Revelation 22 here tonight in these two verses. These aren't the words of Jimi Hendrix. See how I've done the comparison here? Jimi Hendrix had his last words and, and John Lennon had his last words. And I've read a, a probably... Uh, an hour worth of last words this week of, of different stars and different athletes and different people, different writers and politicians and all these last words. They all stand over here as lasting words. We write them down. We put them on websites. There's books on last words. But over here is Jesus' last words. And these last words are so much more precious and so much more valuable than anybody else in the history of the world. We may remember them. We may love those words. We may write those words down. We may etch them into our minds. But these words, the words of Christ, should be known by us. They should be memorized by us. They should be something that we can uh, say off the top of our head. These words are that important, that valuable. His last words are not, let me say this, in the upper room with the disciples. Those were very sweet words as He was getting ready to go to the cross. And they were, they were wonderful words, but those were, were not His last words. They were not the words on the cross. There's all kinds of sermon series on the last sayings of Christ upon the cross. And those were very powerful words, but they were not His last words. His last words were not the Great Commission to go into all the world and to preach the Gospel and to make disciples of all men, teaching them whatever things I have told you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. No, those were not His last words. His last words were not to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. His last words are not to us today. I've heard people even recently in churches say, Jesus spoke audibly to me today. No, 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 He didn't. His last words are not to you today. His last words, the last words that we will hear out of His mouth before He comes again in glory is in verses 12 and 13. Right here are the last words of Christ. This last page of Scripture, the last words that Jesus ever spoke these are planned words. Understand, these were not random words. They were not, these were not spontaneous. They were not in the moment. These were well thought out, well planned, exactly what He wanted us to hear, to understand, and I believe to cling to, to hold on to until He comes again. I'll say this later on, but the only way that I can imagine illustrating this to you is that when I left to go to Los Angeles for two weeks, the first time I went, before I got in the car to go to the airport to fly and to be gone something like 17 or 18 days, my kids were gathered around me and I wanted to give them words to hold on to until Daddy come back. And I, I sit down with them. I probably said something silly. I don't even remember what I said. But it's words that they were going to have in their minds on the first day and on the second day. And as it got harder and harder for Daddy to be away, they were going to hold on to those words that Daddy is going to come back. They held on to that. Daddy's not going to be gone forever. And that's what's going on here is that Jesus is giving us these last words so that the first century church can cling to these words and the, and the Reformation church can cling to these words and the church of the Great Awakening can cling to these words and the modern contemporary church of today can cling to these words. These are words that He wanted us to hold on to. His last words. Not only are these planned words, these are perfect words. These words tie up all the loose ends of the Bible. There's nothing left to be said. This is it. It's done. The last words are perfect words here. And then to me, and I hope to you tonight, that these words will become not only planned words and perfect words, but precious words. Valuable, comforting, encouraging, exactly what we need to hear today. So may God write them on our hearts in permanent ink as we study these words tonight. These are the last words of Christ. Last words not of John Lennon or Jimi Hendrix or of some president, but the last words of Christ before He returns again. You say, what are these words about? What's He telling us here? Well, here, let, let's go through it. And, and you guys know, I could ask you right now, so we've got a small crowd here tonight, how many points do you think I have tonight? And 
I think you know. We have three points that we're going to work through in these two verses. Starting with, number one, the last words of Christ are words of return. If you're taking notes, the last words of Christ, like I said to, to, to my, my kids as I was leaving to go to L.A., your daddy's going to come back. And the last words of Christ are words of return. Your Savior is going to come back. That's what it says here in verse 12. And you say, where does it say that at? Look, and behold, I come quickly. I mean, that, that's a statement right there that we're going to look at. First statement number one, these are words of return. It says, behold. I love that word. I've underlined that word. I've looked that word up in the Greek. I, I think it's one of the great words of the Bible. And this word stands out because what Jesus is saying here is look. And that word behold, it means to pay attention. The word behold means to listen up. I think the word behold means snapping of the fingers. I do that all the time. I do that with the bus kids. When they get unruly behind me, the first thing I do is, hey guys, listen up. I do that with my kids at the house when they're, they're getting out of control. I do, behold, pay attention to your dad. I do that to you guys sometimes. If you're sitting there and you get this, I'm not saying you're unruly, but sometimes you guys kind of nod off on you. And, and I, I know you don't do this, but you know what you do? You do something like this. Well, ooh, we're going to wake up. Josh has got something to say here. Sometimes you even whisper a little bit. Oh, Josh is saying something real serious here. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's snapping his fingers. He's, he's like a, a coach when a, when a practice isn't going like it should go and he's blowing his whistle. That's what that word behold means. He's, he's hitting the pulpit. He's, he's getting our undivided attention. When he wants us to hear these last words, and it's, it's like someone on their deathbed as they, they start doing, I want you to come on in. They know the time is drawing near, and I'm about to go, and this is the last thing that you will hear from me. You guys need to get down here and hear what I'm about to say. Jesus is saying, behold, listen up to what I'm going to, to say here. And it's almost like Jesus is taking the, the, the pen from John himself and, and writing down, what I'm about to say is very, very important. Behold. So what does he say? After you hear behold, you better think something good better be coming. If I start beating on the pulpit and get your attention, you're saying, oh, he's got something good to say. And if something bad comes out of my mouth, you're like, well, that was a waste of time. But what is he going to say? It better be good. And behold, I love these two words, I come. Again, words of return. I am coming back. It's a promise to us. I want you to understand this, that Jesus will come back. You need to understand that. We need to get that etched into our minds. We need to get that wrote upon our heart in, in, permanent, in, in permanent ink. That Jesus is coming back again one day. It's not just about what Jesus has done in the past. It's about what Jesus is going to do in the future. And He will come back. You can take that one to the bank. He's coming back. It's been recorded by God. Jesus is coming back. It's been predetermined in heaven. Jesus is coming back. It's set. It's unalterable. It's unchangeable. There is a day set upon the horizon when Jesus will come in the clouds of glory and return for us. He is coming back. When the heavens will open and Jesus will come and He will come personally. Yeah, I love that. Get these. Just, you don't have to write these down. Just pay attention. Here, here, here. Pay attention. Behold. Jesus will return personally. Jesus will return physically. He will return bodily. He will return powerfully. And He will return visibly. Jesus is coming back. His last words are words of return. We must all realize this. We must all feel these words. Jesus is coming back. It's His last words to us, just like it was to my kids as they gathered around me and I'm leaving for 18 days. Jesus is here leaving for 2,000 years and He wants us to hold on to those words. I am going to come back. I love that. We forget that all too often. But Jesus is coming back. He's going to return. And I like this. Get this. Look at this with me. I mean, this, this, this excites me. I love it. I come. It's not. I will come. It's in the present tense. I come. Understand He's saying, I'm on my way. He's saying, I'm in the process of coming. He's saying, I am presently at this time coming. I am ready to burst on the scene at any moment. Jesus is coming now. He's on His way. That's what it's saying there. This is exciting. When is He going to come? And look what it says. Behold, I come. When is He going to come? Quickly. I want you to understand this. Nobody knows when Jesus will come. The, the Pope doesn't know when Jesus will come. The professors in all the seminaries in all the world have no idea when Jesus is going to come. He's not revealed that to any individual in this world or in the history of the world. Nobody knows when Jesus is going to return. All we know is that Jesus is coming. What does it say there? Look at it with me. See it in your own Bible. He's going to come quickly. 
I love this. Look in verse 7. Behold, I come. When does it come? Quickly. Look at it in verse 12. Behold, I come. Quickly. Look at it in verse 20. Surely I come. Quickly. He's coming soon. Without delay. Shortly. At any time. In the twinkling of an eye. In a split second. Jesus will show up. I think the last words He wants us to hear is, I'm coming and it's going to come soon. Be ready for it. Because when He comes, you'll be, if you're unprepared, you, you won't have a chance. It's going to come like that. It's going to come in the twinkling of an eye. And people won't have a chance to say, ooh, I need to get ready now. No, He's going to come quickly. And not just here. Let me show you a couple of other verses. You guys follow along with me on this. The Bible speaks with one voice. It's not just here. It's all through Scripture. And I'm just going to give you five of them if you want, if you want it. Matthew 24, 27 says Jesus is going to come like lightning. Did you get that? I mean, outside right now, there's a storm brewing. And lightning may strike. And how fast does lightning strike? If you ain't looking, you're going to miss it. I've been driving down the road with my kids before and say, Ooh, what would you see? What you see, Dad? I saw that lightning. Didn't you see it? And it struck so fast and so quick that, that everybody in the back seat of the car missed it. And the Bible says in Matthew 24 again that Jesus is going to come like, like lightning. That's how fast it's going to come. James 5, 9. I like this one. You don't have to turn there. That Jesus is going to come like a judge. It says the judge stands at the door ready to come. The judge of the universe has his hand on the doorknob and is ready to come at any time. What words? 1 Thessalonians 5.4 He's going to come like a thief. You see how quick these are? The judge is at the door. The lightning is striking. The thief, when does he come? He comes at night when nobody's ready for him. Has any has a thief ever told the family when they're going to show up at the house? A thief doesn't uh, send you a letter a week before and say, I'm going to come and rob your house in the middle of the night this week. A thief doesn't come in the middle of the day. He comes at night when, when nobody's prepared for it. And First Thessalonians says Jesus is going to come at the darkest hour, when you, whether you're ready or not, whether you expect it or not. Unbelievers will be unprepared for this. It's going to be like the days of Noah when nobody has time to prepare. He's going to be like a thief. And you're going to be laying in the bed thinking, I wasn't ready for this. That's how fast it's going to come. Behold, I come quickly. Like a judge, like lightning, like a thief. John 14, He's coming like a bridegroom. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also. What a powerful verse. Let me give you another one. I want you to turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians 4. I don't want you to turn to every one of these, but here's, here's probably my favorite. This is, this is great. I've given you five. I love a good long list of things here. I'll start in verse 13. I want to start in verse 16, but I want, to, I want you to get the whole context. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend. And He's going to descend like a, like a victor on a white horse. He's coming as a victorious Savior. Look what it says. For the Lord Himself, personally, bodily, physically, visibly, we will see Him, shall descend from heaven. And how is He going to descend? With a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then they, we which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with Him in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. He's coming as a victor when He comes again. So we see there, He's coming like lightning, like a judge that's ready to open up the door and to come and, and give a verdict of judgment on the world. He's coming like a thief, coming in the, in the darkest of hours. He's coming like a bridegroom for His bride. He's coming like a, a victor on a white steed, coming to, to take over the world, our Savior is coming again. I love this. These words here, and I'll move on to the next point, are words of readiness. When we read these things, it ought to get our hearts ready. It ought to stir us up. We ought to, uh, I think 1 John 3 says that with every man with this hope ought to purify himself. We ought to keep ourselves so ready for His return. If we knew, I, I'm going to say this and it's going to offend some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. If we knew Jesus was returning at 635, this church would be full. Would it not? We ought to make ourselves so ready that we, we are ready, prepared for Him to come at any time. That I don't want to be caught doing anything and going anywhere knowing He could come. These are words of readiness. We have to purify ourselves because we have that hope. These are words of hope. As the days in our life goes, grows darker, our hope grows brighter. When you see the world getting darker, these words that are etched on your mind will be, Behold, I come to you. Even so, come Lord Jesus. 
words of hope and comfort. And I know if you're here tonight, you're probably saved. These are also words of doom. That he could come at any time and judge and destroy and damn. And if you're not ready, you won't have time to get ready. So you need to make time now to get ready before he comes quickly. So the question to you before we move on to the next point, it says, and behold, I come quickly. Are you ready for his return? Is there anything left undone? Is there anything left unsaid? Talked about peacemaking this morning. Is there anybody that you're at odds with that you need to make peace with before Jesus returns? Is there any sin you need to confess, sin you need to repent, people you need to share the gospel with? That's one of the most sobering thoughts about Jesus coming again, and we look forward to it. We want him to come again. We, we, we want his return. But the hard part is we know if he returns that a great many of our loved ones will be judged when he comes back. So what words do you need to say before he returns? We need to live as if he could come back at any time. These are words of return. Point number two, and you'll see it in just the next statement, it's not only words of return, but the last words of Christ are also words of re reward. Do you see that? I, I'm, I'm not making these things up. And behold, I come quickly. There's the return. And my reward is with me. So his words, his last words are words of return, or of reward. He says the reward. You see that? It's in, it's in your Bible right there in front of you. And my reward is with me. That's a reward is, and I think you know what a reward is. You see posters that people put on, 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 out in town that they have a lost dog and they'll say, if found, the reward is. And if you find the dog and you bring it back to them, the reward at the bottom is, you know, it could be a hundred dollars. It could be a, a, a thousand dollars if people really love their dog. All kinds of rewards for doing a work. And that's what he's saying. That's what a reward is. It's a wage, a, a fruit of our labor, a payment for our, our service. He's coming, and when he comes, he's bringing a reward with him. He's bringing a payday with him. Don't you guys love a, a good payday? I used to be growing up. My mom and dad's not here tonight, but I, growing up, you'd ask for things from your parents. I did it all the time. I was very selfish. Still am. And I, I was very spoiled. So I'd go to my mom and dad, and I'd say, I want. It was probably a new pair of shoes or it was a video game, something. And mom would look at me, and she'd say, Wait for payday. Payday's coming, Josh. And I would say, when's payday, Mom? And you know, I'd circle it on the calendar knowing payday's coming and, and I'm going to get something on that day. And that's what he's saying here. That you're, You may not get rewarded here. You may not have great things here. But we have a payday coming someday when we will get rewarded for the things we've done in this life. He's not going to leave us unrewarded. That, that's what he's saying here. Because he says, look, look at it with me. Whose reward is it? And my reward is with me. My reward with me. It's His. And it says, in His hands. So when He returns, He's coming with something. It shows our reward, our payment, our big payday is not coming from this world. Keep playing the lottery. That's fine. Scratch those tickets. Pick those numbers. But that's not going to be your big payday. Your big payday is not going to be people liking you here, being famous here, what everybody strives for. You understand that? Everybody's striving for, for something more. Everybody wants a, a bigger house and a nicer car and, and better things and a bigger bank account. Everybody wants the, 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 the best of life, but our reward is not here. Even, even the reward that, that God gives us is not, may not happen here. The pat on the back that, that I want, the, the well done, good and faithful servant that I desire here, that, that's what I want more than anything in my life is to hear my Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to, to little things here, Josh. You were faithful as a pastor. You were, uh, I'll tell you this. I want to be two things. I want to be faithful to my wife and I want to be faithful to my church and, and in return be faithful to my God. That's all I want in life. To know that He'll pat me on the back and say, you've done a good job. I, I know some of you guys will say, you're doing a good job, pastor. I mean, sometimes. And I'm like, okay, thank you. But ultimately, I want God to say, you've done a good job. And I may not get that here from you, from the world, from even my family. I may not get it from God here, but when He comes, there will be a reward when He tells us and gives us rewards for what we've done. This will be our payday from Him. He is the source, and He will pay you back for what you've done for Him. Who's the recipients? And I've already talked about this. And my reward is with me to give who? To every man. You see that in verse 12? To give to every man. Each individual. This is not group rewards. This is personal rewards. This is for believers. We will be rewarded by Christ. He's not going to leave us hanging. I was an itinerant preacher for a little while. If you don't know what that means, I preached at a different church every Sunday for about six months. We'd moved to Lynchburg, and I didn't have a job. Steph didn't have a job. 
So I made a living just preaching at different churches every single Sunday. We were all over Central Virginia preaching at Amish churches. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we got behind a horse and buggy on the way to church one Sunday. <laughs> and we, you know, we were out nowhere. And Steph looked at me and said, where are you taking us this week? There was no Wi-Fi. There was no way we uh, we get no cell signal, so we didn't have directions there. I actually printed out directions for me to get to these places. And we'd go into these small little churches. Some places didn't have bathrooms. I mean, just the small little churches all over the place looking for pastors, looking for preachers. And I went and I said, sign me up. I want to preach at any church that will have me. And I was just going around preaching at these churches. Steph sometimes just sit in a car, two kids. Didn't have a nursery, so she, she probably heard the sermons I preached anyway, so she'd just sit in the car. And I'd go in and preach, come out, and we'd drive away. But the thing was, that you can't ask for money. I can't go in there and say, you know, my speaking fee is. <laughs> Whatever they wanted to give you is what you got. And if they wanted to give you nothing, you got nothing. There was one church out of all those churches for six months that I was an itinerant preacher. One church that at the end of the service, I was talking to the deacons, I was talking to the guys in, in, in control of everything. It was right around Christmas. Steph had already went to the car, taking it. We had a Gracie and Isaiah then. And I was sitting there, and they hadn't given me anything yet. No check, no pat on the back. I don't know, the sermon must have been bad, I guess, you know, 27-year-old preacher. And I stood around, just kind of waiting, you know. <laughs> Last one's there, just kind of hanging out, talking to the guys, waiting for them to say, oh, yeah, yeah, here. And it got to be everybody getting hungry time, and we all got out and left, and they didn't give me anything. And I can't look at them and say, you guys going to pay me? That's not what you do. You preach for free. But they left me hanging. And I'm okay with that. That was the only job I had, the only way we had to make money, and I was good with that. If God, and you know, God met every need that we had. But that church left me hanging. And I got in the car, we had groceries to buy, and we had bills to pay, and all kinds of different things. And Steph looked at me and she said, did they pay you? Not this one. I'd done the studying, I'd done the work, I'd done the preaching, I'd done all that I needed to do. And at the end of the day, I was left hanging. You ever done work and been left hanging? Jesus is here telling us, I'm not going to leave you hanging. You do the work and you serve me, and I see it. And I keep a record of it. When I come back, I will reward you for everything that you've done. His last words are to remind us, I will never leave you hanging. You will get the reward that's coming to you. That's a, that's a great, great truth that he's telling us. Jesus won't leave us hanging. And how's he going to give? How's he going to reward us? What, what what is he rewarding us for? It says there in verse twelve, "My reward is with me to give every man according." This is a criteria: according as his work shall be. He's going to reward us according to our work for him. You can underline that work for him. How much we work, how hard we work. Salvation is not based upon my works. Salvation is based upon the works that Christ has already done. I put my faith not in my works and who I am. I put my faith in, in the works of Christ. That's the works that saved me. His works, not mine. So we are not saved by works, but you better believe we will be rewarded by our works. You don't understand that. A lot of people sit and think, we're not saved by works. I don't have to do anything but sit at the house. But you need to understand that when He comes, He will reward us for the works that we do here. He will reward us. And you say, where is that at? I've got all kinds of passages I can show you. But when, when it says works, our reward is based on our works, on what we do in this life. There will be a payday someday. And what He's saying here is it means, and you guys know this, it's, it's 2 Corinthians 5.10. I don't have to make you turn there, but we will all stand before God as believers. And, and He's not going to judge us for our sin, but He's going to judge us for our service. Understand that. Unbelievers will be judged by God for their sin. Our sin has been wiped away. Our sin has been cleansed. Our sin has been forgiven. It's been cast as far as east is from the west. It's been thrown into the, the sea of unforgiveness and it'll never be brought up again. Sometimes you have a fight with your spouse. I'm not saying Steph does this, but she, she can bring up, if she wanted to, she does it. I'm not saying she does it. Bring up something I did 10 years ago. Do you remember when you did this? And she's just bringing that up out of the sea of forgiveness. You know? We, we, we got past that. Let's put it back. You know? God will never bring nothing back up on us. He will never bring up what you've done. He'll never bring up what you said. He'll never bring up how you were in the past. I heard somebody say that today. Oh, I've done so many things bad in my past. God, you may remember it, but God never will. I love that. So He's not going to bring up our sin. Unbelievers are judged by their sin because it's not covered. It's not atoned for. Jesus didn't pay that price. So they're judged for sin. We'll be judged for service. What we've done in this body, our lives before God 
Think about that. Our lives before God will be opened up. We'll be laid bare. We'll be scrutinized. We'll be, we'll be reviewed by God. We will answer to God for the lives we've lived for Him here in this body. The, the time you've spent in service, He will judge you for that and reward you for that. I, I don't like the word judge. Let me say, He will reward you. And if you've not spent any time in service for Him, you won't get the reward. But if you have, you'll get the reward. So everything you've done, every minute, every second of time you've spent serving Jesus in this life, you'll be rewarded for that. If you've cleaned the bathrooms, if you've fixed the the moat outside, He's looking down, marking every bit of it. Look what He's doing. Look at the time that He's spent. Look what my children are doing. I will reward Him for all that. I like that. Don't you? He doesn't forget what we do. He forgets our sin, but He doesn't forget our service. That's great truth. The time you spend in service, the talent that you used in service, the gifts that God has given you. All of us have gifts. He has graciously given us these gifts. Here's the gift that I've given you, Josh. I believe my gift is to, to preach, to teach, and to pastor. I believe that's my gift. Now use it for Him. If I was to take that gift that He's given me and put it to the side, say, I'm not going to use it. I've wasted that gift. He's given each one of you a gift, a place to serve and to do. And if you don't do it, you're wasting it. I'll give you more. The time you spend in service, the talent you spent in service, and the treasure that you've given to service. He's given us so much treasure. How did you spend it on yourself? Or did you spend it on God and His Word? You'll be rewarded for that. I don't know how much you give. I don't. I'm not sitting there, you guys know me, I'm not sitting there as the offering plate goes by, saying, mm, okay, you got that. Mm-mm, all didn't give this week, you know, just as it goes. I, I don't do that. We don't do that. But you know who does do that? When the books are open and we're judged for our service, rewarded for our service, not one penny will be left unrewarded. Not one penny. He's going to reward us for what we've done, not what we intend to do. I hear hear so many people say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And I'm just as bad as anybody in that. I'm going to start doing more evangelism here at the church. I'm going to start. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, and they're always putting off till tomorrow. Putting off till, till, till later on. Putting off till a better time in life. Putting off till kids grow up and it's not as busy. Putting off till I've got more energy. Putting off until I retire. Putting off, putting off, putting off. God here will reward us for what we have done for Him, not what we intended to do for Him. And if He returns like that, and you've been putting off till tomorrow, what you should have been doing today. So we will be rewarded by God in direct proportion to what we deserve and what we've done. I'm going to send you to one more place here. Then we'll move on to the last point. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Again, the Bible speaks with one voice on all these things. This is not just Jesus in His last words. He's just tying up loose ends. Reminding us of these these powerful, important truths. Luke 19, verse 11 through 27. I know it's a a longer passage, but I want you to see here. Verse 11. You guys have heard this. I think you know this. And as they heard these things, he added, verse 11, Luke 19, and he spake a parable, an earthly story with a spiritual truth. Because he was not at Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately see that quickly appear. So they wanted to know what we need to be doing. If Jesus is coming soon, quickly, the kingdom is coming, what do we need to do? And here's what he says. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman, that's Jesus, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. Jesus going into heaven and then he's going to come back. He's going to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, occupy. Or that word occupy there in the Greek would be, do business until I come. Be about my business. He, he, he's the one handing out the money. You do business with that ten pounds that I've given you until I come back. I'm going to a far country, I'm coming back, and to see how much business you've done. But the citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass, verse 15, then when he was returned, you see that word there? He came back. Having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, one by one, that he might know how much every man had gained by their business, by their trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, and here they are lined up one servant after the other to give an account for what they had done while, while the boss was gone. 
How much business you had done. How much work you had given. How much service you had done for the, for the king. And they lined up one by one. One after the other. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he showed him the work he did. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. Judged in direct proportion to how much work he had done. Verse 18. The second came. The next in line. Saying, Lord, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. He said direct proportion. Gain ten pounds, get ten cities. Five pounds, five cities. And another came, third one, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. I've, I've, I've had, are you giving me this money, Lord? And I took it. This is what I did. I, I put it in a napkin. And I covered it up. And I laid it over. And I laid it to the side. I just put it in the bank, is what I did. Didn't do nothing with it. You gave me this. You gave me opportunity. You gave me time. You gave me talent. You gave me treasure. But I just put it to the side and did nothing for you at all. Look what it says. Here's thy pound, verse 20, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. And that word austere, it's in, you're an exact man. Demanding man. He's demanding. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. And that word wicked there is worthless. You have done nothing for me. You're worthless to me. That is the last thing you want to hear God say when He returns. You are worthless. You have done nothing for me. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid I lay not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath the ten pounds. Take what I've given him and give it to the one that did the most service. And they said unto him, Lord, he already has ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which, with, which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would, would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. There's the judgment of the unbelievers. What a, what a beautiful parable showing us what this is saying here. That we will be rewarded by God in direct proportion to what we deserve and what we've done. This reward shows us, and you can turn back to Revelation now, that our service here matters. What you do here for Christ matters. And that our Savior will never forget the works you do. I lay my head on my pillow at night knowing that Jesus will not forget what I've done for Him. Last point, and we'll close. We've seen the words of return. We've seen the words of reward. Now in verse 13, I want to show you the words of rain. The words of rain. Not, not the rain that's getting ready to come and fall outside, but the words of R-E-I-G-N. The words that Christ will reign. You see there in, these, in verse 13, I love this verse. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. You say, that's kind of out of the way there, isn't it? It's kind of just put there in, in a weird way. It says the same thing three times in three different ways. You see that Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. It's like R-A. And Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's like R-Z. So it's saying the same things over and, uh, three times. I am Alpha, the first. I am Omega, the last. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the first and the last. He's saying three different things there. Three, one thing in three different ways. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. It shows here, first of all, this is what this teaches you, is that first, number one, that it shows us when Christ's reign began. When He began to reign. His reign, and it shows us his, his reign had no beginning at all. He is the beginning of all things. He didn't begin to reign. He didn't take over at some time. It's like we can look at Donald Trump and say, he became president and began to reign over this nation in 2000 and, what was it, 16. That's when he began. When did Jesus' reign begin? And he says here, my reign didn't begin. I didn't, be, I didn't begin. I am the beginning. I started all these things. I'm the beginning of history. It all comes from Him. He's the architect of history. He's the designer of history. He's the origin of all things. All things come from the Lord Jesus Christ. He, his reign has no beginning. He is the beginning. And number two, it shows us the end of His reign. 
When will his reign end? Some people say Donald Trump's reign started in 2016 and it will either end in 2020 or it will end in 2024. His reign will have an end. When did Jesus' reign? When will his reign end? He had no beginning of his reign. He has reigned from before the foundation of the world. He has always reigned. And when will he stop reigning? When will he stop being the ruler of the universe? He has no end of his reign. He is the end. He is the last. He is the omega. So he, he had no beginning in his reign and he has no end in his reign. He will always reign. I, I love that. He is the end. He is the Lord of the last days. He is predetermined in the book of Revelation how everything will end. He is the end. That's good. He's pre-written it. He will bring it all to an end. He started this book. Don't you love this? He started this book in Genesis chapter 1 and he ends it in Revelation 22. He is the beginning and He is the end. Let me show you one more thing. This is a good truth. Things may look chaotic in the end, but things will not end in chaos because Jesus is still in control. I love that. Don't you love that saying? He started the book and He ends the book. Now let me give you one last point and we'll close. He started the book, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He'll end the book in Revelation 22. Here we are today. Now what is He in between all that? Not only did He reign in the beginning, and not only will He reign in the end, He has and will reign throughout all of history. There will never be a point in time in our lives when He will not be on the throne. you got to love that. that. That's a great truth. He's the first and the last. And we can all say Amen. But it's clear here that He is also everything in between. He also reigns right now and throughout all time. Over everything in the middle. I love that. From Genesis 1, He reigned. He created all things by the word of His mouth. He reigned throughout all of the Old Testament. He reigned throughout all of the New Testament. He reigned throughout all of church history. He reigned throughout all now contemporary time and the church today. And I can go even further. I don't know how much longer time will go. I don't think it will go much longer because I believe Jesus is going to come quickly. He will reign until the end of all time. And even through the, as the ages roll, He will continue to reign. There is no beginning to His reign. There is no end to His reign. And He's reigning right now over all things. That's a great, great point. You say, why is that so good? Because right now, Christ reigns. It may look like evil reigns. Wicked men are... It looks like wicked men are ruling the world. It looks like chaos is all over our country. It looks like everything's out of control. For John in Revelation, he's on the island of Patmos as a criminal. And it looks like, it looks like Caesar is reigning. In, in 95 AD, when this was written, and John is on the island of Patmos as a 95-year-old man, and he's sitting there busting rocks in the last days of his life, it looks like Caesar is reigning in control and, and, and is going to rule everything. But Jesus is reminding John, no, I reigned in the beginning, I'll reign in the end, and I reign right now too. Caesar isn't in control, I am. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. And it's good for us here today too. Understand, it looks like evil reigns today, does it not? We may sit here today and say, oh, Trump reigns. Trump don't reign, Jesus reigns. It may look like Kim, Kim Jong-un reigns. In North Korea. Kim Jong-un don't reign. Jesus reigns. It may look like uh, whoever reigns over Germany and over, over England and over Canada and over New Mexico or over Mexico. It may look like all these other leaders reign. It may look like rich people reign. It may look like evil reigns. But you know who's reigning over the world right now at this time? Who's on His throne? Jesus reigns. It's the reign of Christ. We need to know that. In reality, there's nothing out of control. It's all under divine control. He is Alpha and Omega. He is first and He is last. He is beginning and He is end. And He is everything in between. I love these last words because it's everything that you and I need to hear. It's the reign of Christ over all things. Over the world. Over me. Over this church. Over your family. Let's take it down now. And in, into in the personal lives. He reigns over this church right now. He reigns over me right now. He reigns over all of us right now. He is the one 
That's in control. And remember this. The darker it gets, the more we have to hold on to that truth. He's in control. Charles Spurgeon said that the sovereignty of God, the reign of God, is the pillow upon which he lays his head every single night. Knowing, you have to think about that, knowing as he lays, as he did and as we do, lay our heads down on our pillows. And you know what we do at night? We worry. I start thinking about all the things I've done throughout the day and what I should have done and how I should have done better. I start thinking about the things that are bothering me, the worries of my life, and I lay there and I have a hard time going to sleep and I'm tossing and I'm turning and I'm worried about the church and I'm worried about just all kinds of different things. And when I lay my head on my pillow, I need to remember these words. He's Alpha. He's Omega. He's the beginning and He's the end. He's the first and the last. He is in control. And now I can just lay down and go to sleep knowing I don't have to control all things. When America starts to crumble and fall, we're going to need to hold on to these words. When Republican fights Democrat, everything's just crumbling from within. We hold on to these words. When we are persecuted for our faith, and it, it may come at any time, we hold on to these words. He's the first and he's the last. He's in control of all things. That's what we hold on to. These last words of Christ, that he will return, he will reward us, he is reigning even now. He's telling John, I reign now. He's telling us all throughout history, I, I'm in control. Every church that's ever come to these words has been under persecution, has been in trouble, has had death and famine and, and, and division and all these things happening to them. And they come back to these words and they just lay their head on their pillows and say, He is reigning. And he is ruling. That's how we sleep at night. With the last words of Christ. What beautiful words these are. And the darker it gets, it will just be a showcase for His glory when He returns. Because in the darkness of this world, He will return on a shining, bright, white horse. And He will reward us. And the world will see the reign of Christ. It's sovereignty on top of sovereignty on top of sovereignty. Our Lord reigns in the heavens. So what do we do with this passage tonight? For believers, and I would assume that's all of us here this, this evening, we etch these words. When I say etch, we, we write them under our minds. I love the way Johnny talks about memorizing Scripture. I still remember the Scripture we memorized on Oatmeal Sunday a few weeks ago. We said it, what, ten times? Ten times over and over. And that word, those words just keep etched into my mind. That's what happens when you memorize them. You etch them into your minds. You, you need to know that. That will keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. I mean, there it is. It just comes out. And I, I didn't know that verse before, but I know it now. I'll memorize it. It needs to be etched in my mind to be kept at perfect peace. Here's the words that we need etched in our minds. Maybe I need to repeat them, these words, ten times tonight so we can just get them and it can be hammered into our minds. It's like hammering a nail. It don't go in on the first try. My boys were learning how to hammer with my dad the other day and they were trying their best. One time, you know. No, it's, just, it's, it's, it's the, the repetition. It's the repetition. And these words need to be etched into our minds. When we are hopeless, He's returning. When we are ready to give up our service for Him, He's rewarded. When we don't understand what's going on, He's reigning. I'm going to say those words one more time. When we are hopeless, and it gets so dark, we remember He is returning. When we feel like giving up, and I feel like giving up a lot. We return to these words and we remember He is rewarded. And when we don't understand what's going on, maybe a death in the family, maybe a sickness, maybe a trial, we trust that He's right. These words need to be etched into our mind. And for non-believers, if you're here tonight and you're unsaved, understand He's coming back without a doubt. It's true. Jesus is coming back. You can mock it. You can make fun of it. You can say, where is, where is he? He said quickly, and it's been 2,000 years. Understand that a 1,000 years of the Lord is as a day. He doesn't look at time the way we do. The next event on his calendar is the return of Christ. 
Understand that. And you need to get yourself ready. Don't, don't be caught unprepared. Because if that time comes and He returns like lightning, like a judge opening up the door, just in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, you will not have time. You will not have time to, uh, a chance to change, a chance to get right, a chance to believe, a chance to repent of your sins. You won't have a chance to do anything. You will be an unbeliever caught unprepared. So you need today, before that's too late, to make it right with God. By believing in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, before He returns. That's your only hope. So you're here tonight and you're lost. Believe in Christ. You're here tonight and you're saved. Trust the last words of Christ. These words are powerful and lasting words. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. These last words of Christ. And I've said it several times tonight. I pray that these words will be etched into our minds forever. Because there's going to come a time, there will, when we feel hopeless. I will feel hopeless. Like there's no hope for the world. And at that moment, I need to remember that Christ is returning. And that is our hope, the blessed hope. And there will come a time, and it may be soon, when I feel like giving up. Like my service is not making any difference at all. At that time, I need to remember that Christ is rewarding me. And there's going to come a time very soon, Father, when I won't understand. And I will question what's going on and how things are happening. And in that moment, I need to remember that Christ is reigning. So etch these words into our minds. Etch them into our hearts. May we carry them with us, not just this day, but every day. Amen. These last words of Christ. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. What a powerful message that was. And now joining me in the studio is Pastor Josh Tompkins. Josh, in light of this passage, what can we do today to prepare for Christ's return? That's a very important question because uh, I, I, just being honest, I, it worries me that people are not prepared for His return. We talk about it. We sing about it. Uh, we hear about it. Uh, but I don't think we're prepared for it. We prepare for a lot of things in life. Uh, we prepare for vacation, we prepare for college, we prepare for school, we prepare for work. Uh, we prepare for just about everything, get ready. Uh, but I don't think we're ready for the return of Christ. So in light of this passage today that we just heard, Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, number one, I think we should be evangelizing more. Uh, I think we put that off. We don't, we don't treat it as an urgent issue. But we need to be warning people that he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a little baby. He's coming back as a conquering king to take over and to judge. Uh, so we need to evangelize in that way to prepare people's hearts and souls for the return of Christ. And number two, we need to hold on to, to the hope of his return. Titus 2.13 says that we are to be awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we hold on to that. We we. In the midst of a hard world, a difficult time, that's what we hold on to. We hold on to the hope that He is going to come back. And number three, uh, this is where I think we struggle with preparing. First John 3 says, Everyone who has this hope, the hope that we're holding on to, that He's going to come back, will purify themselves, will be ready. Um, in, in our lives, that's uh, what the Gospels say, that the bride ought to have herself purified and ready. Um, a spotless bride that is prepared for the return of, of Christ. So... Those are three practical ways that we can every day live in light of and in preparation of the return of Jesus Christ. Thanks, Josh. And we'd like to remind our listeners that if you or someone you know are suffering from an overpowering addiction of any kind or are in need of clothing, or you just want to be surrounded by a loving family for a warm meal, check us out online for a list of all of our services and ministries here at West End and come by and see us at any time. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at www.westnbsg.org. 